Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Rose, and today I dove deep with Tierra Duke from Oregon. She and her dad run Kessler Angus, and I think you have to really admire how much she understands the Angus industry and really knows how to study cattle. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I think she's in a unique perspective. She's back on the family operation with her dad, looking to expand and grow and add some uniqueness to what has been a long-standing history that her dad has developed. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And one thing I really have to appreciate about Tierra is she really understands cattle. And I saw a Facebook post where she was describing some of the herd sires that her and her dad went and looked at. And I just really appreciate the way she analyzes the way she studies cattle, the way she describes cattle. And so she's a great resource in the Angus industry. So settle in and enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Cattle Menu Podcast. I am really excited for this conversation. We met at a conference last summer, which it seems like it was probably five summers ago in the life we've both lived since last summer. And really, we were able to connect on all things cattle and just talk a lot about things that we have personal interest in. And so I'm really excited you're here to join us today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Why don't we start by you just introducing yourself and giving us a little bit about your background in agriculture and where you're at today. Okay, I'm Tierra Kessler Duke is my married name now. The ranch name is Kessler Angus, so I couldn't get rid of it. I work full-time with my dad, Randy Kessler, on his Angus operation here in eastern Oregon. We sell about 130 Angus bulls a year. Um, And that's what I do full time with him. So that's pretty much all I have going on for cattle stuff. Perfect. And you have been back on the ranch for how long? I've been back here full time since I think around 2015. But prior to that, I did all of his marketing, like his sale prep and stuff and his record keeping while I was in school, while I was in college. I took over that duty. Perfect. I think what makes it really unique is the fact that, one, working with your dad, which you know is something that I do as well, but also just being kind of the main operator and as a woman. And there has been some challenges, but there is also a lot of aspects that are really rewarding, kind of being in that side where you get to play into a little bit more of the creativity and some things like that. And so let's first talk about the dynamic of working with your dad full time. And if someone, you know, is not working with family or is considering going back to the operation, what are some things you've kind of learned about working with your dad and unique scenarios that you think add to that element? 
Well, I guess the only job experience I've had other than working here for the him was internships and then a marketing job I worked online. And uh, I feel like it's a lot different to have like your dad as your boss because there's like a boss and employee relationship. And then there's like your dad who has different standards for you or maybe treats you like differently than you would treat an employee or something. And so there's like a little bit of a dance in all of that and having to sometimes not be scared to be like, hey, I am your daughter, but I'm also your employee. You're not going to treat the other employee like this or talk to someone else like this. Then, you, you know, you have to have the boundaries in that kind of stuff. But it's been so rewarding still to be here and to um, work on the ranch full time. I mean, the times I have tried to leave or thought I was going to leave, I end up right back here doing this. It's just fun to be here and to get to work with family and to get to fully appreciate the dream that my dad had starting this ranch, his first generation, and to look towards the future and hope that I get to be the next generation is kind of what keeps me going most days. I just had a conversation with my brother the other day on the phone and I said, you are thinking about this scenario with our dad as your dad. And I said, you need to flip the switch and you need to say, how would my employer like this conversation to happen? Because we were kind of hitting this roadblock where he was approaching my dad with a problem, but not really a solution because he was approaching him as a dad. And he was like, can you help me with this? And my dad said, yes, but I need a solution. You know, I need as an employee, I need you to present a solution. And I do think it adds such a unique element. And just like I know with you, there are days I really love it. And there (laughs) are other days where I was like, if you are not my dad, I probably would have left today. But I think that that is, you know, the ties are stronger. It's like the roots are deeper and I feel very passionate about the mission, you know, about my kids and my grandkids hopefully being able to work together. And it does add this really unique and I think beautiful perspective that not a lot of businesses have. Yeah, I think it's very unique. Even just to like when I was growing up watching my parents work full time next to each other while everybody else had at least one or both of their parents were working different jobs or something. And I mean, growing up, we spent every single day as a family together on the ranch. And I think that is like a really unique and beautiful thing about agriculture. I agree. And I think it just, you know, the other thing too is when you are self-employed and when you kind of get to chase your own dreams, It's like you can push the gas as hard as you want and you kind of get to control that speed a little bit. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy is the hustle. It's sort of the hustle is directly related to the outcome. And I know we see that, you know, even more in agriculture. The more we risk we take, the more all of these things, it's sort of like they are directly related. Yeah, I really like that part of it, but it's also stressful too. Absolutely. So you guys are a registered Angus operation. And tell me a little bit about kind of what sets you guys apart and what is your marketing, you know, slogan or kind of tagline that sets you apart from the other Angus producers. So we started in 
1961, my dad got his first heifer as a 4-H project. His parents or his dad was a row crop farmer and his grandparents had moved over from Germany and were wheat farmers. So nobody had had cattle up to that point. Um, he got his first heifer when he was nine. They asked him in a 4-H meeting, so what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and every kid has something they want to be that if we look at him, we're like, oh yeah, that's not what I did. But he was nine years old waiting for his first heifer to come. He said, I want to raise Angus bulls and sell them to commercial cattlemen. And this was our 61st year in business. And so he's still doing that, which is crazy. I think I said that I was going to be like an artist or something. I can't draw. I can't even do graphic design. So I'm not sure why I thought that. But he sold his first bull in 1964 and went through. There was a lot of consignment sales in like the 70s and 80s to go to. He sold bulls that way. He went to every fair that he could, making friends with people and um, showing off the bulls. Um, and making sales that way. We did private treaty sales. He kind of got into the Cavanese niche, but never like chased any of the extremes that we've seen cattle go through in the 60s and 70s and all through the years. I guess there's always extremes and everything. We've never chased any of the extremes, just kind of stayed in the middle, you know, when frame went up and down and all, all around. So just to have a consistent bull, but he did focus on always having a Cavanese option for customers, which we find still is very important to our customers. You'll watch a sale and, you know, they can sell birth weight all day. And for whatever reason, still like our customer base won't really want to touch a bull that's above a 3.0 on birth. And we, of course, have bulls that are higher than that, that people come in and get, but that's still just kind of one of the things that our customers really come to us for is that when we say like, you can use this bull on your heifers, you shouldn't have any problems with him. And we haven't really had any much of anything, you know, you can't predict everything when you have to use young bulls and to stay ahead in that kind of genetic race. We also, I think what sets us apart is a very strong customer service, which has been something that I did have to learn from my dad because some of the stuff that customers come to you with, you're just like, uh, no, 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 no. Or that's like, I kind of balk at it. My dad's like, oh, that's fine. Come pick up like a free bull to replace that bull with whatever went, you know, whatever went wrong. And, and so it's really heavy on whatever you need to get your cows bred. We'll do it. We keep some younger bulls back from the sale. Some of those will go to warranties and some just to guys who didn't get a bull in the sale season. A super strong focus on making sure that if anything makes you unhappy about your bull, then we'll replace him, warranty him, whatever you need, like as soon as possible. I think that's kind of a lost art. I mean, I feel like there are a lot of operations who are really good, like you guys are, kind of standing up to their customers and then there's a lot of operations that are kind of like, too bad. That's what you bought. And they say, I think, nicely, you know, but mm -hmm. it's more just, well, that was the deal. You bought the bull. It didn't work. Come back next year and buy a different one. Yeah. And I think just so much of it is customer service. I mean, I, I run the office during the bull sale. One of my customers came to me and he bought like a list of bulls and we go through and we check them all. And if he had a different price written down in his book we 
invoiced him that price. If, you know, I think there was one, a thousand dollars less. I'm like, I'll invoice you that price. Or he came to like the best bull on the load he put together. Oh, I don't want that one. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll eat that. Anything that keeps the customer happy is what we really try to do. And I think that that gets really far with people and the reputation that we have up here in the Pacific Northwest selling bulls. It seems as if in your location, so in Montana, we always say there's a a good bull on every corner. And I know you travel to Montana to look at bulls as well, but it seems that as you get kind of in your country, there are less options. And so what are kind of the reach of your genetics? Do a lot of them go into California? Do you kind of stay um, in Oregon or where do you feel like your genetic reach is? Most of our customers are in Washington state. We sell a few into Eastern Oregon, a couple into Idaho, but the majority of them are in Washington. Okay, great. What is something you wish that commercial cattlemen knew either about the seed stock world or knew from their seed stock producer that you don't think they know? I don't know if they know how many options they have. And just because somebody, you know, looks flashy or they're marketing is cool or something, you know, I wish that we were more drawn to the actual people that we were doing business with and knowing that this guy that's been in business forever is going to take care of you. And just because somebody's like the biggest operation with the biggest name doesn't mean that they are going to be able to take care of you the way that somebody else can. And the quality is not less because there's less bulls. I think that this year we didn't have a pen of bulls that I didn't like. Um, You know, sometimes you have a younger group of bulls that they're younger, they're bulls, but this year we didn't have a group of bulls that we didn't like. And they came to a very reasonable price that's far below the average. I mean, the averages have been crazy this year, but far below the average. And they're like, oh yeah, we just couldn't get one. And then you see they go to a larger operation and they buy something kind of the same quality as maybe your bottom end and they paid twice as much for it, but it sold in the beginning of a bigger sale. So it must be better. And I think we lose people there and I'm sure that's in marketing. I think we lose some people in that part of things and they get caught up in the hype of something flashy. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is, you know, they always recommend once a year you get a new insurance quote and in agriculture, we do a lot of things that we're like, well, we've always done that. We've always gone to that sale. We've always bought bulls from there. And I don't think that longevity piece is inherently wrong. You know, I think that some of that leads to very similar cows and things like that, but it should be an active decision, not a passive decision. Like you shouldn't just go to that sale because you've always gone to the sale. Like you should like the bulls that year. And You should look at other options, especially, you know, in these, in the world today, there is a sire that a good, you know, a bunch of people in your area probably use or a hot sire that a bunch of the industry is using in general, right? And so I really recommend that everyone kind of looks at their options every year and assesses and finds the good bulls. Don't just, I mean, I think sometimes we can just put the bull buying kind of on the back burner. It's like, oh, I'll go to the sale. I'll open the catalog when I get there and find the ones I like and take them home. And I think it's got to be more active than that. 
ladies, are you looking for a way to gain confidence when it comes to working cattle? This summer, we're hosting the first ever She's a Hand Ranch Camp in Montana. Our goal is to create a low-stress environment for you to learn the skills you're expected to know, but never taught. You can join us on either May 25th through 29th or July 28th through August 2nd. Each camp is limited to 15 spots, so don't wait. You can grab your ticket today at the link in the show notes. We hope to see you there. going to everybody's sale that I can get to and just seeing the different sire groups and the different bulls and evaluating them all. I mean, we don't buy a lot of bulls. We'll buy like a couple herd bulls every few years because we're mostly, we really focus on AI, but I still find it interesting just the differences in quality that you can find. And I like to have looked at my bulls and then go and look at everybody else's bulls and come home and see like, am I like a little barn blind? Are they as good as I think they are? Are they not? You know, what are other people doing and using that make maybe a hole that I feel mine have? What is somebody else using that made that better? You know, that's all part of it because sure your bulls are good, but there's no perfect bull in this world and there's nobody who does make their breeding decisions perfectly. Yeah, we can't just blindly follow you know, whatever we've been following. And I think you're right a little bit about the price. It it seems as if sometimes when sales have a really high average, we kind of get involved a little bit more and people overspend their budget. Mm-hmm. You know, people bid a couple more times on bulls. And obviously I'm in marketing, so I want my customers to have the most success possible. But also, as a commercial cattleman, if you put a budget of 8000 and you spend ten, you are already going to dislike that bull yeah. more than if you would have spent eight. And I think sometimes we kind of pin ourselves in a corner, right? It's like we like these three bulls, and I can find the good bulls in an operation, and that's one thing that I've always kind of prided myself in is that I can sort the good ones. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly livestock judging training from college, Mm -hmm. right? But I oftentimes see people kind of put themselves in this hole. They've picked three or four. This is the only sale they go to and they're over their budget and they just kind of sacrifice and, and buy the bull. And again, that's fine if you have that flex room. But if you don't and you have to stay firm to your price, if you pay a little bit more, inherently you're going to try to find something wrong with that bull. And so I think human behavior in auctions is really interesting. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity to work with someone like your family who is a little bit more flexible because it takes a little bit of that pressure away. Like if you bid one extra time and you didn't mean to, like there are options and I'm I know for sure that's not the case everywhere. Yeah. You know, I know bull sales happen right in the middle of maybe calving or doing whatever. But if you can get there and that seed stock producer is willing to spend time with you in the pens. I mean, we have guys that come and they want to look through on their own and that's fine. And then there's some guys that I'll spend the day out there and be like, okay, I know like these, like we'll make a little dream list over here. These ones are yeah, they're awesome. They're going to do exactly what you want, but let's go through these pens and find other options because I know the cow families and I know how they're related to these bulls that are on maybe like our little dream list. And uh, I know what else is going to work for you that you might overlook if you're just looking 
through a catalog on your own. Um, and so I really do enjoy that part of spending time with customers and going through and being like, hey, you probably wouldn't stop on this pedigree or something, but I'm going to tell you like this cow family is the same and I know what she's going to do for you. Um, the cow is so important. And uh, so that's part of it too, that I wish that we had the ability to spend more time just in the pens with customers. You know, a lot of times your main point of contact is the day that you deliver the bulls. That's the time that you get to spend one-on-one -on -one with these guys. And it's great to see their operations and do that before the sale, I think is really important to all the communication that can happen leading up to it. You made an interesting point about cows. And I feel as if we spend all this time and money buying bulls. And again, it's not inherently negative, but we buy cows at a sale barn. Mm -hmm. Well, they will run in a load of bred cows for whatever reason or and we'll raise our hand or pairs. And it's almost like we did no research. We have no background on this operation and we're buying them for whatever, you know, whatever reason. And so talk a little bit about the cow side of the equation and what you've come to know about how much the cow plays a role and kind of her impact long term on your operation. Yeah, I think in any operation, but in our registered operations, you know, the cow and the cow families are the backbone of everything that we do and everything we work for because like the settables that were our high sellers this year, the sire is a really wonderful bull. Everything that we have out of him, uh, we're in love with. But then I also looked at the pedigrees of the first five bulls in our catalogs, and those are all Pathfinder cows that have done their job in and out and you know, they're kind of like a no miss type of cow. And that's why they got the $50 straw semen because they're working. So it's like, yes, I'm not taking anything away from this bull, but if he was made it to the bottom end of the cow herd, is it, are they going to be in the middle? Or are they going to still rise to the top? Um, I think the cow does so much work that people just overlook, you know, if a group of bulls in a sale are good, it's because oh, the sire is good. Like, oh, they're consistent because the sire is consistent. But the cow herd should also be consistent too. You know, I don't want my group of registered calves to come in looking all over the board, all different sizes and weights and everything. Um, I want to look down my bullpens and see a super consistent product for my customer. And I think that the cow has everything to do with that. Our cow herd is closed, I guess you would call it. Um, we haven't purchased any females. I think in my lifetime, we've maybe purchased like five females from other ranches. And we also don't share our cow herd genetics. Like we're just kind of getting into in the last couple of years, selling like pick of the replacement heifers. Um, this year we sold embryo interest in a few females. But prior to three years ago, we didn't sell a papered female. And we try to keep our cow nucleus very closed and to be like, if you want, you know, Kessler genetics, you're going to come to the ranch and buy them here. And I think that's important, just the amount of time that we put into our matings and um, paying attention to these cows and making sure that they're all working to earn their spot here on the ranch. You talked a little bit about, you know, keeping a closed herd and then starting to sell or 
kind of expand some of those females out, which is a new decision. Mm-hmm. Being a female in agriculture kind of gives a different perspective. And I don't, you know, we don't talk a ton about that in the seed suck world. So kind of what have you ideas or new things have you brought to the table that you don't think your dad would have considered or would have done without kind of your creative influence, some of those unique perspectives that you have? Well, I've been lucky that since I've had kind of more of a role in what we're doing on the ranch, my dad and I discuss all of the breeding decisions together. I mean, he'll still use his bulls that he wants to use, but um, we see cattle a little bit differently and he takes in what I see and what I like in cattle. He likes a bigger kind of stretchier, framier bull. And um, I like, maybe they're not always quite as big as he likes them, but um, I like a super soft made deep sided animal. And so really what we like complements each other really well and makes like a really nice product in the end. And uh, I've been lucky that we work together on those decisions and choose sires. We go, like we just got back from Billings, going through the studs and picking bulls and just chatting about bulls and coming home and kind of trying to decide now and iron out what we are going to use semen on. And I think it was his idea to sell the pick of the heifers three years ago. And then this year leading up to the sale, you know, we had just a standout heifer and she was kind of just the type that I don't know how you're going to get around her in the pick. I don't know how you're not going to pick her out of there. Just like phenotypically, she's the best out there and on paper, arguably the best heifer out there. So like, however you pick, I don't know how you're going to get around her. And he was just kind of sad, like, oh, they're going to buy her and she's going to go away. And like, I might retain the right to flush her, but we don't really do a lot of flushing. So, you know, we won't get the same impact out of her as if she was here having her natural calves. So I was like, oh, let's just sell embryo interest. He's like, I don't know how you do that. What does that even mean? And so like, I was like, we'll keep her and they can flush her for as much as they want. And in her lifetime and but we'll retain her and we'll retain her natural calves he's like oh that's a good idea you can do that I'm like you can do whatever you want you know you can offer whatever you want I said I have no idea what it's gonna bring but you know you can offer whatever you want and you want to keep the heifer anyways so (laughs) how can it go wrong for you and she brought 19,000 for half embryo interest and he's like I guess that was a pretty good idea. And I was like, well, yeah, because pick your heifer has been bringing like 11. So little things like that, just to try new things. You know, there's me, my dad, my brother works part-time. And then we have one full-time employee year round and then a seasonal employee. So it's always kind of like a rush, like, oh, we don't have the time to do this or we don't have the time. And I know that's probably pretty common for all of us. But a few years ago to just convince my dad, we do have the time to take a video and edit a video of every single bull in the sale, you know, things like that. No, we do have the time. Like I will manage it. It'll be okay. And it'll be worth it. And it did pay off two years ago, the mountain, you know, we have mountain passes to get over for a lot of our customers to get here. And both of the mountain passes were shut down and the customers couldn't come. And so they all had looked at the videos and they still made their selections. He's like, 
oh, well, that was definitely worth the time, you know, because your best customers couldn't get over the mountains. So just little things like that, I think um, I kind of play into it. And sometimes it's more of a partnership deal. And that's what I've really learned. You know, a lot of people ask me, how do you convince your dad? I'm like, it's not, it's less convincing and more like, this is an opportunity I see. Let's partner on it, right? I'll do 90% of the work. You just have to give me the green light and then let's assess the outcome. And I think that sometimes we expect to go from black and white, you know, really quickly, like change something overnight. And a lot of times, one working with family, one being a female in an operation, like it's a lot of little baby steps and it's a lot of building trust and tweaking things that have no expense and, you know, don't even use that much time. Like it's a one afternoon thing that you can tweak and make a difference. And I think sometimes we get so caught up on why well, I got to change all these big things that we forget all of the like little daily changes that we can make that really add credibility and kind of open their eyes to our perspective. And I wish more women realized write those little daily activities and how big of an impact that makes, especially when you're asking your dad, you know, we've never filmed the bulls before. Now I think we should film them, which is a, a time decision. If you have to hire someone, it's a money decision. It's all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. But there's things you do every single day to kind of add credibility and add that trust to when you brought the new idea and said, I'll manage it. It sort of takes the risk off the table for him. Yeah. And I think just stuff has changed a lot just in me showing up and like putting an interest into the cows, you know? I mean, I'm here, I'm paid hourly to be here. So no matter what, I'm going to make however much I make off my hourly and then whatever, you know, my cows. But when I'm talking about changing things or talking about he needs to sell this cow or sell that cow, you know, I'm talking about his income because I'm, I'm getting my paycheck. So I know maybe things aren't always like that, but I'm an hourly employee employee here. So I do have like a little bit of appreciation for like that part of it. And I try to spend a lot of time out in the cows. Like right now we have our cows sorted off that we're going to breed on the 31st. And I go out there every day and drive through them and make notes and bring back to him cows or what they need, what I maybe I'm like, oh, this cow, we shouldn't AI, we should probably sell her or this one's calf for them all being the same age isn't that good. I kind of have my notes that I make for him and share that information with him. And it's also just helpful for him because it's a different set of eyes on the cow herd that's looking. Um, we're always just kind of both looking and critiquing what we see out there. And it usually comes together pretty well, but at the end of the day, it is still his operation. And um, I respect that. So I don't try to ever tell him, oh, you should do this. You know, I don't. And I know, you know, if you come at somebody in kind of a hostile way like that, it's not really gonna do anything like he's been doing it for 61 years or whatever. So he knows what he should do. Obviously, he's still in business, but I really enjoy working with him in that way and having my voice heard because I do feel like I get heard in our decisions. Do you need a new website designed, logo for your business, or help with social media? 
Did you know that Kairos Company is a full-service design and marketing company? We do everything from websites to logo designs, consulting, and social media. We'd love to support small rural businesses like yours. Reach out today at kairoscompany.com backslash rural-business-marketing to get your quote. Yeah, one thing you really you said right there that I've never thought about is instead of communicating as should, we often communicate as could. Mm-hmm. And just that tweak kind of softens it a little bit, right? And adds, this is our thought. This is what you could do um, versus this is what you should do. And both of them allow us to give our opinion and tell them what we think. But one says, I think what you're doing is wrong, right? Should. Mm -hmm. Or, and the other says, this is another option. And just that little tweak of the language, when you were talking about that, I was like, wow, that's incredible. I mean, that just that little language, how much more in partnership I'm sure he feels because of the way you word things. Yeah, which I guess that's something I have learned working with family and for my dad as my boss is that, you know, a lot of communication is about the way that we word things and the way we present ideas. And I'm 30 years old, I'm still learning. So, you know, I have ideas and things. And some of them we implement and some things we don't. And both of us, though, do the same thing. He'll bring a bull like, oh, we should use this bull. I'm like, I don't, you know, there's, here's the things I see in that bull. And then it'll be the same way when I come up with something. He's like, oh, I've seen something like that before. And that, that's just not going to work. Or, you know, last time I tried that on the cow herd, it just didn't work. And so that is always a really nice way to get to work with him together. Absolutely. What is one thing you think we're going to see in the seed stock world in the next couple of years? I guess, I don't know. There's, I can never know what new thing is going to come out that everybody's going to go all crazy for. But I think with all of the things that people have chased, and this kind of always is the conversation that, you know, the seed stock producer that's working with you and not chasing fads and uh, really paying attention to the cow herd and making their cow herd work for them, I think is going to remain where you find a really good bull and um, really good people to do business with. Absolutely. One of the trends that I see that I don't know is publicly talked a lot about is having someone else, so co-op herds, so Mm. putting embryos in someone else's cows, raising registered bulls there, coming and getting them at weaning time, bringing them back to the facility. And I think we're going to see more of that as land prices increase, as it's harder for standard commercial cattlemen to feel like they can pay all their bills. I do think we're going to see more of that. I mean, I know a decent amount already happens, but I do think long-term that there is going to be a premium for people who raise bulls on their operation, kind of see them come out of the cow, you know, are there during calving all the way. I'm guessing that that is going to be a marketing tactic used by some operations in the next couple of years. Yeah, and I think that we have seen that more than we know, um, cooperator herds and all of that. 
we haven't used any of that, but for some reason it always seems like right now it's kind of like still hushed, like, oh yeah, I raise bulls for this person, but you know, I don't say that I do. I just help them promote the bulls and you know, and then you see like maybe somebody goes out of business and then somebody else has that cowherd and it's still their cowherd. And um I don't I guess I don't understand why that is uh kind of hushed sometimes, but um, I think it's a super interesting tool and I don't know why people pretend that they maybe don't do it or just like don't say that they do it because yeah, it's a very useful tool to have. And I think it provides value for both people involved. Absolutely. I spent a summer in Australia for the largest Angus producer at the time there and he did not own a single cow. Mm-hmm. So every cow on his ranch was either leased by another ranch, you know, ranch, put his embryos in, or he put embryos in, I mean, hundreds of different little operations throughout the country of Australia. And it was really cool. And it was something he marketed because he was marketing the opportunity to have his embryos put in your cows. And so that was something that was talked a lot. But you're right. In the U.S., we don't talk a ton about that, and I think that it is a good conversation. I mean, it's just part of reality, right? I mean, if someone has a really great set of commercial cows and they want to do something different for their family and put in some embryos or whatever that looks like, I think that's a great conversation. And I also think that it is going to be a good conversation if you raise all the calves yourself. I mean, I think there's kind of both segments allow for some unique perspective and some options in the industry. And I just think that's going to be more of a conversation both ways. I'm hoping it's more of a conversation in the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. So the other thing that we'll just quickly mention is you are expecting a baby. I am. And you are going to be working on the ranch with a newborn. Yeah. So what kind of do you guys think that's going to look like? What are some things you're excited about? All of that. Um, I have no idea what it's going to look like because he is going to be the first grandchild on the ranch. And so I was too little to remember what it was like to have my baby brother around. But I see the pictures of mom with him in a back carrier, you know, when he was a little bigger. I think it'll be interesting because I'm kind of a freak about records and that's my favorite part of what we do is the record keeping and the genetics and all of that stuff. And I'm due three days before the fall cows. So I was telling my dad the other day, I said, Oh, well, you know, he won't have to wait very long to help tag his first calf. And dad's like, why? And I'm like, well, cause they're going to come like probably the same day as him three days later. And dad's like, well, you're going to have to be home for a little while. You know, you're, you're probably not going to be right back out there and I was like, well, I don't know what we'll be doing. So I have no idea what to expect just in general in life out of a newborn. But I did have a foster son. He went home in March of 2022. And so it's been about a year since he went home. But I had a toddler for two years on the ranch. And so I had no idea how that was going to go going into it either. But it was fun. And I think it made, honestly, the ranch work more fun because we got to experience everything through a little guy's eyes. And um, it also just made everybody kind of slow down and think about each other a little bit more. I don't know 
how, but, you know, we're doing something and the toddler's crying. And uh, there was one point where I was stressed out. He's the little guy sitting in the ranger crying because he wants to be out, but it's the middle of calving season and he's upset in the ranger. And my dad stopped and looked at me. He was like, Tierra, he is a person. Go take care of him. He's a person. He's not a cow. Go take care of him. And I was like, what? Where has this been when I was a little person? Because, you know, it's like grandparents are so soft. But I think that was like one of the funniest moments I've had with my dad, because so often in a cattle operation, the cows do come first, like in when you're little sometimes and you want to play sports or something. And we had to work cows before we could come to the softball game or like my parents aren't here because they are working cows or something like that. And for my dad to be like, no, he's a person, choose him first. And uh, so I think it'll be kind of a fun transition into that. My dad's excited. He keeps telling everybody that he's 70 years old and he finally gets to be a grandpa. He's been waiting forever. And I was like, well, you don't have, you didn't get us till you were 40. So, you know, that's kind of on you, (laughs) but I think it'll just be an exciting transition into, you know, what's hopefully the little third generation of our operation being born and starting to see and eventually form his own opinions about what we have going on. Yeah, I'm very excited for you. I think that you have a very similar mentality to what I expect I will be like when we have children is sort of, we just got to figure it out and take them with us and see what works and what doesn't work. And I think it's important. I think we need more kids raised in agriculture. Obviously, you and I were raised on operations. And so that shaped immensely who we are. But um, I do think that the other cool thing is we get to do things differently than our parents did for us. And we kind of get to be in control a little bit about the narrative built around that. And how we value family time and what we make time for and all of that. And so I'm very excited for you in that transition. And I think that it will probably add a whole new perspective, you know, also for your dad, but just in the operation in general and some of the the goals. And it really solidifies longevity and where you guys want to be in, you know, the next 60 years. Yeah. And it's exciting to think, you know, I guess he can choose to come to work with mom and grandpa and play with cows or he can go to the mountains with my husband and go hunting and do that so I guess no matter what he's got to be outside you know to have a new kid coming in and a new family member I think is just going to be fun and kind of that's kind of been part of my wanting to be here or not be here too is that when it gets hard I'm like you know I just am so thankful at the end of the day that I was raised here and Like as I was getting married and stuff, it's like, you know, I want to raise a family here how I was raised. And um, of course, there's always things you'll do differently. But I think that that's such a driving factor for me in choosing and remaining in this lifestyle is family. And I just hope that, you know, he enjoys it and is involved. And if he's not, I guess he can figure out what he wants to do. And uh I think that's just a really exciting thing to be going through right now. Yeah. And everyone who knows me knows, you know, how impactful my niece and nephew have been to our family operation, but it will also, you know, change the game for your siblings to just have that next generation. And I know 
you know, half the calls with my brothers, we talk about cows and half the calls we talk about the kids. Mm -hmm. And it allows us to connect on something besides work. And, you know, I'm over there more for family dinners and just it allows us to reconnect as humans and as friends, which my brother and I have always been great friends. I mean, minus the high school years where I was weird and he was in college. But and, you know, it allows us to be friends. And I remember Jason and Ellie saying they were asking me who my best friends were. And I mentioned my brother as one of them. And they said, you, he can't be your friend because he's your brother. And I'm not sure that, you know, our relationship would be as close without his kids involved. And so I think kind of the whole family benefits from bringing on the, the next generation and adding some new perspective. So I'm excited to see what it does for your guys' family. Yeah, it should be crazy little toddler mess. I guess the cattle will be, they're not, not gentle, but the cattle will sure be bomb proof for a while while he's a toddler. That's a benefit of toddlers. And yeah, it'll be just fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always fun to chat with someone who works so closely with their dad and understands the struggle of being an employee and a daughter. And so thanks for sharing your wisdom. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening to the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember, the grass is greener where you water it.